things that are needed on the website. Uh, so, Jude is a one-chapter book, and uh, short and sweet, to the point. Uh, so look at the first two verses. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved to, in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Now, here's one thing you see right off the bat. This uh, letter is going to be written in triple triplets. Three things, Jude, bondservant and brother. Three people, the called, beloved, and kept. Three greetings, mercy, peace, love. And you're going to see that right on down through the letter. There's all kinds of triplets in this letter. He loves, he's a fan of three. Um, so he identifies himself as Jude, which doesn't help us a whole lot. There's nine of them in the New Testament. You know, and a ton of them throughout uh, Jewish culture of that time. You know why there were so many Judes back at that time? Maccabees? Yeah, Judas Maccabeus. Same reason there were a lot of Simons. He was important in the Maccabean period. You know, why are there tons of Washington, you know, cities, counties, whatever, you know, and Columbus and whatever, because, you know, we value those people. So, so that doesn't really tell you a whole lot. So he identifies himself further as a bondservant of Jesus Christ, which we all should be. We are, you know, slaves of Christ. We, we belong to him. He paid for us and we're doing his bidding. But that, those, all Christians must be that. And so he, identi- he identifies himself further as brother of James. Well, so which Jude in the New Testament had a brother named James? James, the brother of Jesus, did. Yes. Apparently. The only one we know about that did. And so my guess is, this is Jude, the brother of James, the brother of Jesus. Kind of interesting, he doesn't call himself a brother of Jesus. Maybe because that's not so appropriate since physical kinship to Jesus really didn't mean anything at this point in time. But that's my guess. I don't know if we could ever prove it conclusively, but I think it's pretty likely. Um, and then he describes the people he's writing to as the called, the beloved, and the kept. Um, and of course, being kept is going to be a great theme of this letter. So he's already kind of highlighting that. Um, and he doesn't give any further identification. So we don't know exactly which of the called, beloved, and kept he was writing to. But I guess when they got the letter, they know it was for them. Um, he wishes for them mercy, peace, and love, um, which are qualities that God gives us. They're not acquired by our own effort. Uh, and he says, may they be multiplied to you. So you can't ever get too much of them. You want the quantity to be increasing. Um, this is the only New Testament greeting that doesn't include grace. And the only one that does include love. But, of course, mercy, peace, and love is wishing those for them is really no different than grace and peace like Paul talks about or whatever. It's wishing those blessings from the Lord in great abundance on these readers. Thoughts and comments? Three and four. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation... I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. 
ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Beloved. Love is going to be important in this uh, letter. Uh, While I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation. So, Jude was going to have written these people, even if he had not heard about the immediate danger that was threatening them. He was already intending to write. He was going to have written about their common salvation, which would be an encouraging theme, but he felt the need to change his plans and to write a different letter. What caused him to change his mind? Certain persons. Yeah, exactly. The appearance of false teachers that came in and were trying to subvert the brethren meant he had to change plans all of a sudden and write to deal with this pressing uh, problem. There are times when it's important for us to teach the thing that needs to be taught at the moment. You know... There are some themes that, you know, people may want to hear, but there are other themes that people may at the moment need to hear. And uh, he felt like he just had to, to change his mind and write something that's going to be relevant to what they're really facing. Write them to content, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. They need to really strenuously defend and promote the truth of the gospel. That's what they need to do. Uh, when he talks about for the faith, talking about Christian teachings, doctrines, belief, uh, the faith is, is once for all delivered to the saints. So the idea is that this, this faith, this gospel was delivered and closed and fixed. It's, it's not something that's in the process of continuing to be delivered and modified and expanded, you know, generation after generation. It's the idea there was one period of time in which God gave the whole teaching. It never needs to be supplemented, superseded, amended, modified. So we look at the New Testament as like a blueprint. It like gives us all the information that we need. And uh, it's closed. It's fixed once for all, delivered to the saints. Now, since it was delivered to us, we didn't manufacture it ourselves, so we have no business changing it. We need to receive it just the same way the Lord gave it to us. It was delivered to us, and we need to keep it. Delivered to the saints, delivered to to brethren. Now, so that's what he's saying. I decide I'm going to have to write to you, you've got to fight hard to preserve this once for all delivered to the saints faith that uh, these false brethren are um, putting in jeopardy. He said, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Now, why certain persons? How does he say that anyway? For certain persons. He doesn't want to give them attention. He's not going to name them. You know, I love that what Paul Harvey always used to do, and I'm not going to be able to use this illustration much longer. People won't know who Paul Harvey was, but I assume some of you do. And uh, he'd tell about some outrageous stunt some knucklehead had done, and then he'd say, and, and I'm sure this person would want me to uh, tell you their name. Then he'd go right on to the next story. <laughs> he wasn't going to dignify them by giving them the name, which is what, of course, they were after. So he's not going to dignify them by calling them by name, 
But certain persons have crept in unnoticed. You know, you think about the idea of crept in. You know, they kind of secretly kind of slipped in the back door, kind of undercover and kind of insinuated themselves into the group. Um, that kind of gives you a sinister feel to it. I think it's intentionally that way. Um, they've crept in unnoticed. Sometimes churches are too open. They're too willing to let anybody in. They're not vigilant about making sure the people are really Christians and are really teaching and, and holding to the truth. Uh, and so these guys are people who were marked out for condemnation long ago. They're ungodly persons. They, you know, you, you start listening to uh, what Jude says here and you want to say, and what do you really think about them? You know, he does not have one good word to say about them. They were wicked, ungodly people who were people who who didn't therefore have any proper respect for God. An ungodly person doesn't fear the Lord. And they didn't. They turned the grace of our God into licentiousness. That's a mouthful. What does it mean to turn the grace of our God into licentiousness? They say that because we have grace from God, we can just do whatever we want. We don't have to worry about doing the right thing. Exactly. They're using grace as a license to sin. People ever do that? You ever done that? Well, I'll just ask for forgiveness tomorrow. And that'll be okay. Bet you anything, most of us have done that somewhere along the line. We knew good and well it was wrong. And we salved our conscience by saying, well, I can, I'll just ask for that is a very dangerous thing. That is not, that's an abuse of God's grace. Uh, we shouldn't be evil because God is good. It becomes pretty difficult to plan your repentance for after your sin and be sincere about it too. You know, <laughs> do you reckon the Lord ever gets wise to being used? Uh, you would think he might have some inkling as to what's going on. I'm saying that as a, ironically. And they deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Looks like they are rebels. They don't want to submit to Jesus as Master and Lord. You know, Jesus has the right to our obedience, but they're rebels. And so these guys, they're trying to abuse grace, get by with doing a bunch of wrong things, and they're rejecting the authority of the Lord. That's why Jude felt like he couldn't write about what he was going to write about, he needed to write to them and say, you're going to have to fight hard to preserve this faith that was delivered once for all to the saints. You know, if he feels like if he didn't write that, you know, they're being subverted by these guys who are abusing grace and who are rebelliously denying the authority of Jesus. Um, so, I mean, it's bad this was happening, but it's kind of good that it gave us this letter because we get a feel for the dangerous nature of teachings that are really twisting God's scriptures and God's will. Thoughts and comments through verse 4. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation? Yes. Are we going to... That'll show up a little later. Yes. And, I mean, I think he's just saying these guys have been bad eggs the whole way through. And these guys have a special place in torment. You know, he, um, Jude would not be overly politically correct. 
No, he has some very um, frank things to say about these guys. You know, we are into well. You know, they mean well. You know, they're just a little misguided. <laughs> you know, they just come from a different background. You know, whatever. Well, sometimes that's true in some areas. But when somebody's teaching doctrines like these, they're not just misguided. They're not just coming from another perspective. They're not somebody who needs to have their culture affirmed or whatever. They're wrong. And, whoa, he says it in such powerful terms. I, I think it's a struggle for us to believe that people could be bad. It's not a struggle to believe that people could be, you know, ignorant or people could be weak or people could be, you know, have some flaws or, you know, this, that, the other thing. But people just be wicked, evil people. I don't know if we ever see anybody hardly like that. Maybe Hitler, you know, <laughs> a handful of people we see like that. But would you see a false teacher this way? And I'm not saying everybody who just misses what some verse says, but there are a lot of people who are just systematically twisting and perverting the scriptures to bolster their own bank account sometimes, or their own followers, or their own power, or whatever. And it's just wrong, and it's an outrage. And sometimes you see those things, and it just, oh, well, appropriately so. It's not right that they twist the scriptures. It's not right that they teach things that are wrong. You know, some things it's just really hard to read, uh, because it's just like, wow, you're just perverting this stuff. Do people do that? You know, is everybody basically honest? No. Some people are very bent on twisting and turning and just lying. So it shouldn't be shocking that some <laughs> people are just out for no good. They are trying to twist what the Lord says and they're trying to mislead the sheep so they can get some personal followers. And, boy, Jude is going to deal with this. Do you remember what other chapter in the Bible in the New Testament really says strong things about false teachers? Second Peter 2. Second Peter 2. It almost looks like they were copying off of each other when they wrote these things. There was a lot of parallels. Maybe they were dealing with the same false teachers. I don't know. But both Second Peter 2 and Jude, you know, sound like, I don't know, too harsh. But obviously they're not. We're too not harsh uh, against those who are really trying to pervert the scriptures if we think this is too harsh. Other thoughts? All right, well, we can stop here for tonight, and we can probably uh, do Jude 